Hello, everyone. My name is Robert Winfrey, and what you're about to listen to is an old episode of Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, which is a podcast I used to host uh, up until about early part of 2016, give or take. So, uh, you know, some podcasts uh, have had shorter lifespans. That one went from maybe 14 to 16-ish. So, this episode in particular originally aired on May 8th, 2015, and... It came out in the immediate kind of wake of Avengers Age of Ultron. Um, And it's important that I bring that up because this is part one of my look at villains of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is myself and Mark Radlich having a discussion. And so it's important to remember where we are in the overall timeline here because there's a lot of characters that we don't discuss because they haven't debuted yet or we close with some uh, there's some speculation we do at the end about what might happen uh some of it wound up being pretty close (laughs) closer to accurate i think uh others you know not so much but such is life so this is obviously pre thanos as a character otherwise a lot more time and attention would have been devoted to him because the mcu version of thanos is a very interesting character in a lot of respects but we kind of hash out all the problems i have had, and still do, in a lot of ways, with various villains of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, uh, this also opens, just disclaimer, with a little bit of a movie review for Age of Ultron, because Mark was unable to make our regularly scheduled movie review for that particular episode, so, again, 2015, we were still sorting out elements of the schedule and elements of what shows would become what. Uh, Nowadays, that would never happen, but it was 2015. And, you know, that just kind of happened. So, be aware. that's a, There's a little bit of that at the beginning of the podcast. Alright. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the show. Thank you for interacting with the product. A like, a comment, a subscription, anything along those lines. It's all helpful to continue the show's growth. So, thank you very much for that. Uh, I also need to thank some of the sponsors for the show. Let's start with Amazon Music. Uh we here at the W2M Network are willing, uh, courtesy of Amazon, are giving away a free 30-day access to the Amazon Music Unlimited uh, program. This is, for my money, the best music streaming platform on the internet. Also host to podcasts and other audio uh, assisters, you know, anything that you like on the audio side of things. Mostly you know, the giant library, 70 million songs, more than that, actually. But And if you want access to that for free... Go to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network. There's a link down in the description below. Give that a click, and that will take you over there, and you can enjoy that service for free for 30 days. After that, if you'd like to keep it, you're welcome to start paying for it. If not, you got a free 30 days of great music. There is no loss to you whatsoever. So give that a link, give that a click if you're at all interested. Also, for you listeners of the W2M Network, we are giving, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes, while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M Network. Again, that is getgrammarly.com slash W2M Network to download Grammarly for free. 
There is also a link in the description below as well. If you would rather click on that, then type something into your search bar. And on that note, I'm going to throw this to myself and Mark Radulich back in the year 2015, a, a younger, more innocent time, <laughs> potentially. Uh, so past us, the floor is yours. And once again, to everyone listening, I thank you very much. Uh, enjoy the show. people 
you know, uh, or you know, they're properties that are not necessarily mine. You know, it's an odd thing, but it took me a while to get you know, just kind of my emotions back and be ready to you know sit here and uh, you know do this show. So I apologize for being gone for so long, but I'm back. I got all my cylinders firing, and I am ready to jump right back into this thing. So. Uh, there's my, you know, that's why it's been so long, but thank you all, all to all the fans of the show out there, and I know there's at least three of you, and uh, God bless you. Thank you for being, you know, for sticking with it, thank you for picking this back up, and thank you in advance for sharing it with friends who you think might enjoy it. We are still trying to spread the good word of the Radlich and Broadcasting Network. Alright, for my return, I've got a big one. I pointed myself at one of the larger targets I could find. Uh, relative to what's going on in the Rattlech and Broadcasting Network this week, and I lit that cannon and I launched myself at it. Oh, it's been a fun ride, and, I, and we're going at it full steam ahead right now. Uh, it is Avengers Week here on the Rattlech and Broadcasting Network. There was Demon in a Bottle on Source Material. There was the review of Avengers Age of Ultron on Wednesday. Last night there was the Long Road to Ruin on the Iron Man trilogy, and tonight... I have words for Marvel about their lack of quality villains. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> All right, but I'm not alone. Uh, with me here is Supreme Overlord and Patriarch of the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network, the mandated reporter who hates pants almost as much as I hate Ben Stiller, and nobody hates anything as much as I hate Ben Stiller, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Radelich. Mark, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me on your show. Uh, this is this is a makeup class for me. I... Uh, I was supposed to be with you Wednesday night reviewing The Age of Ultron. I had been looking forward to this for uh, many, many months now. And unfortunately, and I don't want to take the show off on a tangent, so we'll just say there were um, problems with my, uh, with my family. My daughter was in the hospital. So that threw everything off this week, and I was unable to make myself available for the Wednesday show. So with that being said, I, I called you up and I said, listen, um, since I missed the Wednesday show, I'm going to come on your show and make up for it. How does that sound? And you said, who are you and get off my porch. And I, you know, we, Once we got all that settled, um, we decided that, yes, it would be a fine thing for me to come on here and talk about the, uh, the one bad guy in the Marvel Cinematic Universe done 20 different times. I got uh, Friday Night Fights on, uh, ready to go. <laughs> um, I, I got Age of Ultron on the brain. Uh, let's do this thing. Well, let's go ahead and jump in with Ultron then. Like you said, you and I were supposed to review that on Wednesday. And incidentally, many thanks to Benjamin Cologne and Jason Teasley who stepped in and did review it with me. You can find that episode in the archives here on the Ride Legend Broadcasting Network, and please do so. Uh, we review movies not just for ourselves, but for everyone out there, and we have a lot of fun. But let's go ahead and start with Ultron. He's the most recent, and then we'll jump back to the beginning and move forward from there. But... You know, Ultron is, uh, I've made my piece, said my piece about that movie in general and him in particular on the uh, review show. Uh, Mark, what's your take? Let's uh, get you, this is your chance to kind of get it off your chest, all the issues you might have with Ultron. Uh, if anyone got a chance to hear last night's Long Road to Ruin uh, on Iron Man, I made the point of saying that you, going into these Marvel movies, if you're expecting just, a lot of a lot of action with no consequence to it. Um, if you're expe- you know if, if you just want to see caricatures kind of running across the screen doing fun stuff and but you don't expect there to be an actual movie, well I feel bad for you and I and I don't understand what it is you're expecting Marvel to do. Um, I am a I am a fan of movies 
and movies involve characters, and characters have art. And if you don't have that kind of a thing, you kind of have a crap movie. This is why I've, you know, I, I, I criticized the first Avengers, because that was literally two hours of just slam, bam, thank you, ma'am. To it. So I spent a lot of The Long Road to Ruin talking about how uh, the Age of Ultron was superior to the first Avengers because of the fact that it let the characters breathe and, uh, and wrestle with their, um, with their own consciousness, with, the, with their own self-determination, much as uh, a couple of the Iron Man movies did, especially the second one, which I think I, which I defended. And we don't need to get, and we, we can talk about the villains in that thing, because I, boy, that I lambaste uh, Sam Rockwell's Justin <laughs> Hammer. You called him <laughs> a like, functional but, retard, if memory serves? Yes, <laughs> yes I did. Um, but the point that I was getting to was everything about Age of Ultron was great except the villain. That's my one problem with, with it. I, I, I had no problem with the twins. I enjoyed them. I enjoyed their arc. I, I, you know, I liked how they basically had a grudge against Tony Stark and by extension the Avengers and were willing to side with the crazy robot until they realized the crazy robot wasn't just trying to kill only the Avengers but, the, but all of humanity. And they said, well... The enemy of the of my enemy is my friend, so I guess we'll throw in with you folks. I was okay with all of that. My problem with the, my only problem with the Age of Ultron um, was that they they create this villain, and in a matter of minutes, he goes from birth to homicidal maniac, and there's nothing in between. And the problem, and you might as well call it the Ultron problem, because this is a problem that 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 many of the Marvel. Uh, cinematic universe movies have and that is the villains are snap crazy you know snap gotta kill everybody without there being any kind of story to how they got there and and, and especially with ultron it made even less sense than some of the other ones because at least you could say okay well malekith has been around for a while ronan the accuser has been around for a while and you know they spent a whole movie with loki prior to the avengers we know what's up with him right so and you and you knew Loki quite well by the time he got to the Avengers. So you have all of these other villains where you you can at least say where we find them in these movies that they have gotten to a point where that's it, humanity has to go. Ultron had no story. It's Tony Stark uh, creates this thing using what ends up being the Mind Stone, and it's like, hi, I'm Ultron. Hi, I'm Jarvis. Here's the breath of humanity in in five seconds. Oh, humanity stinks. You've got to go. Well, they're not that bad. Yes, they are. And that's it. That was literally Ultron Dark. Now, yeah, it... <laughs> I had less of a problem with what he does after that, you know, trying to fashion different bodies and trying to get uh, nuclear codes and then eventually settling for creating an extinction-level event by dropping a city on the planet. I was okay with all of that. My biggest problem with, with it was just how he, you know, there should have been at least 10 to 20 minutes of Ultron being, you know, what he was intended to being and then coming to that conclusion. You know, having... Uh, I would have killed for another... I think two of the best scenes in that movie, one of my favorites is at the end when Ultron ostensibly dies, the little bit of dialogue he has with the Vision. And I spoke at length about how much I was a fan of Paul Bettany and what he did with that character. But just the contrast in philosophies and the way they have that little final dialogue was awesome. I mean, I wanted more of that. That's the stuff I find interesting. 
I mean, so a five-minute discussion with him and Stark about the philosophical nature of, you know, peacekeeping and what it means would have been just gangbusters as far as I'm concerned. Uh, they wasted the Iron Legion in the beginning of the movie uh, in as far as people, re- you know, rebelling against them. When they initially bring in the Iron Legion, it just should have, they just should have showed it, showed them doing their thing, and then that should have been the end of it. And then there should have been a scene where the Avengers stand down, let Ultron go solve a problem with the Iron Legion, let the Iron, basically have it be more violent than it needed to be, um, and then have Ultron kind of stand there like, look, look, Dad, I did what you told me to do, I solved the problem, and have people start like throwing rocks at the Iron Legion and Ultron, and, and that should have had Ultron have a fucking meltdown. That should have been yeah. where Ultron, like, there is no saving humanity. To save it, you must kill it. And I would then I would have been okay with it, and we could have proceeded from there. Instead, it's like we gotta get we gotta get the Hawkeye's farm and the Hulkbuster fight scene. So let, let, let's, 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 you're just instantly crazy, and that's bad storytelling. Yeah, um, yeah it is. But, I mean, which is really sad because I and again for those who heard the review, this is a tad retread, but I loved what James Spader was able to do with it. I mean, his voice had the right tone. All of the you can tell what they did with him that was motion capture related as opposed to just generated. And he just brings presence, even with just his voice, to that character and adds just menace when he's able to, when he's, you know, given a scene, given dialogue that lets him do that. And it's a See, real shame to... that they wasted so much of it. Well, that's the thing. Is I, gotta, I almost got to disagree with you. I thought the way James Spader portrayed Ultron was a little too pool hall junkies for me. You know, it was a little too... He's a robot. <laughs> He's an artificial intelligence. And I, I, know, I, I think I was talking to you offline, and I said, I guess the explanation for his speech patterns and his behavior was that it was based on Tony Stark. But I don't even remember. I had to go back and rewatch the movie. I don't know how much of that was, was apparent or even in the movie. So I'm sitting there, and a lot of the times that he's like really sarcastic or he's you know, you, not using proper English in, in, in some of the uh, scenes, I'm just thinking to myself, like, why is he the jazz robot? You know, why, why is he super, like, he should have been wearing, like, a hat or something, you know, and maybe smoking a cigarette. He's just like, hey, man, humanity sucks, and it's got to go, word up. You know, like, he was weird. He was the jazz, he was the jazz murdering robot. And I, and then since there was nothing behind it, there was no explanation, I don't understand why he's that way, I actually didn't like it. You know, now, if you say, Take, take your preconceived notions of what a murder bot should act like and just did you like James Spader? Okay, fine. I like James Spader. I liked, I liked his pool hall junkies delivery you know, of the lines. I just don't think it fit this character. Well, I actually I was a little bit uh, off-put by that, and then I wound up talking with uh, Ben Cologne for a bit about it. And you have to, the other thing you have to remember about Ultron is, you know, he's just been created. A lot of what he's doing, and I... I refer I uh, compared him to a petulant teenager because I live with a couple of them. and in that so it was grating to me a little bit because nobody likes petulant teenagers there's not a soul on God's green earth ever has been ever will be but it makes sense given that here he is and he has access to all the knowledge ever but he has no experience no maturity and no emotional balance to deal with it so it, it makes sense in that respect the other reason I can say I like what James Spader did was I imagine I try to imagine before I blame an actor 
and I've blamed actors in the past. If I'm going to you know, figure out where blame lies appropriately, I have to consider, could anyone else have done any better with what was given to them? I thought about that with Ultron, and I couldn't come up with anyone doing any better than what James Spader did. And in, at which point, I have to ju- I can praise what he did correctly and point out flaws. Some of it might be him, some of it's writing, some of it's direction. You know, there's fault all around, but before I flat out say it's the actor, I have to consider, could anyone else do better? And in this instance, I'm not sure anyone could. That's my two cents. Um, just overall, just put a nice little bow on this. I absolutely loved Age of Ultron. It's right up there with the Winter Soldier. I mean, Winter Soldier is still, I think, the best Marvel movie they've ever done. But it's but this became number two, and Guardians of the Galaxy for me is number three. Um, and and I I uh, I just wish that people could you know understand that it's okay to have like you know serious inter you know inter reflection <laughs> in a movie as long as you also have robots fighting monsters, which this one had a plenty. So I I don't know what more people want. I know I don't want to see two hours of the Hulkbuster fighting the Hulk. I also don't want to see you know. But by the same token, and I get this, I don't want to see two hours of Hawkeye you know in Little House on the Prairie. The it's Jeremy Renner. uh, I would watch him in uh, a remake of Little House on the Prairie. I'm not gonna lie. That's fine if I show up to the if on the marquee it says Jeremy Renner is you know uh, in the Little House on the Prairie. This is the age of Ultron, and I need to, yeah. and, and we balance. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, I I just found Ultron to be basically Marvel cinematic villain number five. You know what I mean? He's just there's well, nothing more. To he did. Uh, my thing with Ultron is he did what he was supposed to do, and what any villain in the middle of a trilogy is supposed to do, he has to set up the future conflict, and he does that right. very well. Yeah, and I'm much, I'm much more now looking forward to Civil War than I am in the Infinity War. I mean, I, we don't need to get into the whole pre uh, pre show conversation that we had here, but to me, like the big the big Super Bowl of this whole thing, where where Marvel seems to be going, I know I know you know with the little end end cut scenes that they've done, you know the the big the big cheese is the Infinity War, but I don't even care about that. To me, everything that the, that's happened in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, with the exception of Guardians of the Galaxy, up to this point has been leading to civil war. That, to me, is the big blow-off. That's what I'm looking forward to. And Ultron put us into high gear towards that direction very well. I just, I really hope they're able to do it properly, because that, as a comic, the Civil War arc has so many problems. So many problems. Um, uh, all right, I, let's... Everything I've read on it, uh, I have lots of hope. Again, there's a lot of interesting stuff there, don't get me wrong. It's more that when it was written, in terms of the actual execution within the Marvel comic universe, issues. Lots and lots of issues. Okay. Uh, if you if you get the right people who can translate the interesting ideas into the movie, it'll be awesome. And I really hope that's what we get. I, I, have actually, a, I actually didn't have the concepts that are... Uh, at work in Civil War work better in a major motion picture than they did in a comic book, and I've and I've read the comic book. I know what it's all about, but I, but you know, but the idea of there are gods walking amongst us, and left to their own devices, they could kill us all. So there has to be some control here. Okay, but these are also, but they're not gods. These are people, and people have a right to self determination, and therein lies the rub. And I think there's a, that at the heart of a major motion picture is much more interesting than that at the heart of a comic book, where the idea is to sell 
you know, infinite amount of issues. <laughs> you know, so you kill Captain America, bring him back to life. You kill Thor, but it's not really Thor. You know, it's weird weirdness. Uh, yeah, and again, other issues there. All right, uh, jumping back to the beginning here, I, I listened to the Long Road to Ruin discussion of the Iron Man trilogy, and you all should as well. Uh, on your, if you're listening live, don't pause us and do it now. We'll do it after the show. If you're listening after the fact, go ahead and pause this and go listen to that, then come back if you'd like. But Or just put it in your audio cue. I don't know. However you want to do it. But the first one, the one that you know kind of kickstarts everything, we get, we get Obadiah Stane as kind of the warmonger. And... Uh, I had such high hopes for him for a long time, because Stane as a character is presented as kind of a grounding force opposite Tony Stark for the first half or so of the movie. He's the, you know, more experienced, more mature, day-to-day, dealing with, you know, juggling both the board for this multi-billion dollar corporation and the genius with no, you know, real moral center or notion of consequences on the other hand. And he was, uh, he was, you know, borderline sympathetic. And even when he revealed that he had deliberately locked Tony Stark out of authority when it came to Stark Industries, I felt there was still a lot more they could have done with him as a, you know, fleshed out, non-mustached, twirly character. Then, no, he tried to have Tony Stark killed so he could have full control. He's actually working with the terrorists on an intimate level as opposed to just selling them stuff. He still wants to kill Tony, and then he gets into his version of the suit, and at that point, there's nothing there but bad cliches. And it really kind of, it kind of broke my heart in a lot of ways, because there was so much, you know, goodness in far as the, you know, kind of shades of gray character that you could have had with him. And then in the finale, you just throw it all away in favor of bad lines and a robot fight. And it, it bothered me a little bit, and... That whole brief arc right there is indicative of a lot of the problems with plenty of the villains that we're going to get into. But, Mark, again, you just watched these recently. You did the Long Road to Ruin on them. Your thoughts on Stane and Jeff Bridges and what he was able to do with it? Okay, well, Jeff Bridges does a, does a fine portrayal of the character. There's no problem with the acting there. Um, I, that's all I have to say about that. But Obadiah Stane, I feel, was really sets the tone for what Marvel does with most of its villains. And that's not a compliment. Okay. It's yeah. you know, the Marvel the Marvel movies by and large focus so much on the hero's arc that the villains get relegated to um, minor you know pushing the plot in a very minor way and that's it and they're carried by the weight of the actor's ability to chew scenery so that that so that that was my biggest problem with Obadiah Stane and every scene that he's in. I think he's great. I think Jeff Bridges is great. Unfortunately, the whole movie was about Tony Stark coming to grips with his own demon. You know, the, the Iron Man is about a guy who, you know, as I said this last night, a man of privilege um, coming to grips with the fact that what he's that uh, he can no longer live the lie that what he's doing doesn't hurt the people that he loves. And so that's what the movie focuses on. There's no focus on Obadiah Stane. You don't, there's no reason, they don't give a reason for why he's betraying this man. You know, they don't, they, there's no inside the mind of Obadiah Stane. You know, with Darth Vader, for example, you know, because someone could say, oh, well, you know, Darth Vader is just a crazy homicidal. No, Darth, they actually spent time telling you about Darth Vader and what his motivations were and why he wanted to do what he was doing, why he was so crazed. 
after uh, after A New Hope. You know, that all made sense. And you didn't get the feeling that he was just there for the sake of a plot. Unlike the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where the villains are really just there for the sake because you have to have a villain. You know, you, you know I, but I honestly think the writers of these movies would be just as happy to do two hours of the heroes running around doing stuff and not have a villain at all for the amount of time and energy they put in. And I Obadiah, won't disagree with and that. And Obadiah is, is, is that archetype. Go ahead. I, I, yeah, I, I, I won't disagree with you too much there. And uh, again, I feel like there was stuff they could have done. I mean, even when he reveals that he tried to have Tony killed, they never discuss motivation. It's just right. he tried to... He hired the terrorists no. to kill Tony Stark. Well, why? There's no, I always hated no your reasons. family. Or there's, you know, give me something. I don't, I know, I don't need the Obadiah Stane movie. But you know, tell me, I was always, you know, it should have been my company all along, not you, you brat. You know, something, <laughs> something along that those lines. That kept me in like, the shadows and had me as babysitter to you for thirty years. Right. I think it's time I take what's mine. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're not looking for a lot here, but when, but when you have nothing, you're like, huh. Okay, you're just an asshole. And that's not compelling storytelling. No, it really isn't. <laughs> um, we get more of the same, really, when we move on to Iron Man 2. And I'm going to kind of be going chronologically here until we get a topic that gets us bouncing around. But with Iron Man 2, and I uh, I have to issue my biggest gripe with Iron Man 2 here because I listened to you guys again on The Long Road to Ruin. I don't have a, a problem with... Hang on, you skipped one. What? If you're going chronologically, you 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 skip the best one. As a matter of fact, you skip the one that we should spend the next hour talking about. I dislike the Incredible Hulk <laughs> as a movie. Look, oh, Edward oh, Norton okay. is there just to kind of chew scenery. William Hurt does a passable but relatively pale imitation of Sam Elliott, who did a much better version of Thaddeus uh, Thunderbolt Ross in Ang Lee's version of Hulk. Not that that movie was better, mind you, but Sam Elliott was about as perfect a cast as casting could have been for that guy. Uh, Liv Tyler is there to kind of look pretty and do very little else. And Emil Blonsky is... Uh, Tim Roth is a fine enough character actor, but there's so little that he's given to actually do. And the whole he, thing he has is... The greatest, he has the greatest line. Not, he has the greatest line in the Marvel Cinematic Universe not given to Tom Hiddleston. He just looks... He's pointing a gun at the guy that would become the leader if they'd ever do another Hulk movie, um, whose name I don't do not recall. And he was like, yeah, "Give me that there. Give, give me that. Whatever that is. Give, give me all of it. That's awesome. Whatever he's got, I want it." Okay. And the, my other big gripe there is the plethora of bad CGI that made my eyes hurt. Uh, it didn't bother me. I, I, and not, it it not bothered me, and that's my that's my. Okay, so do you have anything real briefly you want to say about uh, the guy who becomes the abomination? Then. Um. I mean, I was I was joking. Around. I mean, I think it deserved a mention. Um, but you know, Tim Roth's portrayal of the Abomination, I liked. I liked the fact that it, at, at the at the end of the day, this was about who had the bigger dick, and he was <laughs> and he was un, and he was unwilling, damn it, to surrender his genitalia to the Hulk, and you know, and to the point where he was that he was willing to allow himself to be injected with gamma radiation so that he could become a monster so that he could win the fight with the Hulk. That was literally his motivation. He's like, I will not let this guy beat me. Yeah, it's, uh, and again, I, I, I just really don't care for that movie, which is why I kind of wanted to skip over because there's not a whole lot there. Okay. Uh, Iron Man. At all for that movie, really. I mean, we, they don't do an origin story. They do kind of a half-assed pseudo-adventure. That's, 
it felt like we need to reintroduce the Hulk now that we've got it back after Ang Lee's movie, which you and I have talked about is not actually that bad. And this is what we're going to do. And then we'll uh, get someone better than Edward Norton because no one wants to work with him for the Avengers. Yeah. I, like, I understood what The Incredible Hulk was. I don't think it's a bad movie. I know everyone fucking hates it for whatever it's reason. It's not a bad movie. I mean, look, when I say it's, I don't like it, it doesn't appeal to me. There are things about it. I, it's not bad. I can't say that because bad falls on an objective scale. And I don't I, feel I, it is bad. I contend that had the Ang Lee version never come out and this was the first major motion picture adaptation of The Hulk since the 70s television show, I think it would have done better in theaters. But I think the novelty had worn off, and I think you could tell from the, you know, from the trailers you weren't getting anything different in this version of The Hulk that you hadn't already gotten in the Ang Lee version, which is why everyone thinks that that's the only version of The Hulk you can have. And I, I've been on this podcast already saying The Hulk has this very, very rich history both on Earth and in outer space and in other dimensions of adventures that you could have done on screen with the Hulk. The problem is everyone ignores all of that or just doesn't know about it and thinks it's a werewolf story. It's not a werewolf story. Unfortunately, people have convinced themselves that that's the only kind of Hulk story you can tell, and you've already seen it. So I get all that. It's you know, sad. The people are that li- that the people writing and producing these things are that limited in their scope. You know, there's um, I don't want and, and I'll let, let, we'll get to Iron Man two as soon as I get the last sentence out. But the whole comic book right now, if there was a way to fast forward and adapt that to for a major motion picture, it's fucking amazing. Okay, he's basically used he was shot in the head in a previous and and again, I'll go, let me let me go back a step. I would love for them to do, and if Universal ever gave up their rights to the Hulk so they could actually do another Hulk movie, which I think is what's actually preventing this from happening, um, I would love for them to do an indestructible Hulk, where basically Banner goes to S.H.I.E.L.D. and says, I will trade you the Hulk for my own lab and my own people so that I can have a legacy besides Hulk smash. And, and, and Banner goes to work for S.H.I.E.L.D. And he becomes very close with Maria Hill. I would love to see them... You know, so take so take the indestructible Hulk and merge it with a story that was called uh, the the Spy Who Smashed Me, which was about you know I don't want to get into the whole thing, but there was this other, there was this other character in there that was like a demi a demigod that the Hulk ends up dealing with, and it was a fun story. Uh, unfortunately, it also involves the Red She Hulk, but you don't have to necessarily use that character. Um, and then come case, on, Liv Tyler you, could use some work. Sure, I don't mind bringing her back, um, but. Uh, I would love to see them do an indestructible Hulk where he works for S.H.I.E.L.D. But at the end of it, he ends up being, at the end of that series, he was shot in the head. And he had brain damage. As ba- he was, Banner was shot in the back of the head, and he ended up uh, brain damaged. And so they went and they put him in hiding. And so the new Hulk story, he's, uh, you know, he's somewhere in the Midwest. And um, after a couple of issues, he's found by Iron Man. Iron Man uses Extremis to heal his brain, da- his brain damage. And this gives rise to a brand new personality called Doc Green. And Doc Green comes to the belief that at this, and at this point there's like a half a dozen gamma radiated beings roaming the earth. You've got the Red Hulk, you've got A-Bomb, you've got She-Hulk, you've got the Red She-Hulk, you've got uh, Lyra, uh, and you've got Scar. And what he figures out is that with all of these gamma-radiated beings roaming around the Earth, they're going to end up causing an extinction-level event themselves just by their mere existence. And so he goes, so he creates a cure from his own blood to uh, depower them. 
and he goes on the hunt. He and he depower, and I think they're up to the point where he's gone after the Red Hulk, and I don't know what happened yet because uh, I haven't read it. But he, you know, but he gets to the point where him and the Red Hulk have not one but two different confrontations where he tries to depower him. But along the way, he de- he depowered the rest, and it leaves. Betty and um, Jen Walters, who is, you know, the the red She-Hulk and the green She-Hulk, you know, saying to themselves, what have we done? We've created a monster. And I thought that was a great story. I'd love to see that. You could adapt that. Yeah. That could be adapted pretty easily. You've got to to create kind of a, you've got to create the story that creates all these different characters. You know, you've got to get all these people out there first, have them do stuff and then introduce this. But I, I think if they if if they could if they wanted to do like a Hulk trilogy, they absolutely could. They've already got the leader, you know, and yeah. the leader basically you know creates the Red Hulk and creates the Red She Hulk, uh, and just you just go from there. So Iron Man two. Yeah. Uh, again, I heard your review, and again, uh, I agree with you about Sam Rockwell. He is of no value uh, apart from the apart from the <laughs> five minute scene where he try where he turns into a car salesman. Other than that, he's just bad comic room, and it's this is sad. Just not just going up for you. <laughs> uh, and again, I like that. I'm with you. You know that one scene when he finally gets to just be a sh- soulless, shameless shill is kind of fun. Everything else yeah. is a bad punchline. Yeah, he's just terrible. I don't. I, as I said last night, I'm not entirely sure what sort of threat he was supposed to be to Tony Stark besides none. Yeah, and it's sad because that was time spent on him was time we could have had with Whiplash, who was a much more interesting character. And sadly, that also got shoved aside in favor of about five to ten more minutes of Tony Stark is dying than we actually needed, which is my biggest gripe with that movie. I'm okay with him dealing with his mortality. I really am. I like that. But they spent too much time on it, and it got boring. And then I'm with you. I was with you about him finding the cure and notes that his dad left 70 years ago that's actually hidden inside of this nice little diorama. I'm like, oh, get out. Don't insult my intelligence that much, please. Yeah, I um, I don't think that... I don't think it was treated with enough gravity. See, uh, see I get what you're saying, like, why it was boring. Um, because well, It was the same note hit over and over and over again. I mean, again, I'm fine with him dealing with mortality. I'm even fine with them devoting time to it, but there's no there's no spin. It's just him dealing with, oh, I'm going to die soon. And then five minutes later, huh, this would be nice if I wasn't going to die soon. And oh, yeah, I've got this to counteract the effects, but man, I'm going to die soon. What am I going to do? I'm going to get drunk and pee myself in the costume. That'll work. <laughs> yeah. I, I know that they talk, John Favreau talked about how Disney wouldn't let him do Demon in a Bottle, and that's as close as they were allowed to get. But that's kind of why I think people had a problem with it because you never really see Tony truly wallowing, you know, in the fact that he's going to die. Maybe I would have been fine better. if they'd given him a you know five minute scene of him in utter despair. Right, it would have yeah, been at least different. Saying. You know, like they don't have to kill an ambassador or anything to help me with the suit. But you know, maybe something. Superman three actually got this right. <laughs> Superman yeah. three has a has a sequence where uh, Superman is hitting on a woman, and this is at the point where they, the, the fake kryptonite had turned him evil. Um, so he's hitting on this woman who he just saved, and he doesn't get to save the people in time. And the next sequence, he's just, like, tearing at himself, 
over, you know, over the guilt of not being able to save these people. And then that gives way to him actually having a personality split where he fights Clark Kent. Um, one of the greatest greatest scenes in cinematic history, by the way. Everyone I'm goes with to, you there. I'm right, with, I'm right there with you. I mean, this is over. Go watch Superman 3. It's an awesome movie. It has Richard Pryor. Um, but that's what I was looking for. I was looking for, you know, that that kind of struggle with himself. You know, he needed to have a giant fuck-up as drunk Iron Man, and then he needed to just be that scene where he where he just looks at himself in a mirror and says, I am a piece of shit. Yeah, he never hits his rock bottom. And it's... Right. And I mean, like, you deal with addicts and people like that, so when I say it, you know what I mean. Because that's... When you hit rock bottom, you know it. And everyone's rock bottom is different, mind you. But we never really see that with him. And it it kind of... It, it almost removes some of the gravity from, oh, I'm about to die. Because they play right. I'm about to die so many times. I but think the problem with I think the problem with Whiplash he's it, it takes too long for him to get back into play. You know, uh, yes, there's yeah. this, there's this essentially what becomes an extended sequence of him manipulating um, Justin Hammer so that he can create an army of drones to kill Tony with, and then his own updated you know cross between the Whiplash costume and and the iron and the Crimson Dynamo armor, um, and it's like. We sh- we should have. It's like he has an awesome introduction scene, in, in as far as you know, the first time he takes well, a shot. Well, they play um, him as like the evil Tony Stark, in that you know you have right. the in the first Iron Man you had the sequence of Tony building his suit. Now you've got Vanko building his, and it works great. And then he attacks Tony at the you know Grand Prix, and that's a really fun sequence. My favorite moment in that sequence is after he finally gets the armor on. Everyone in the crowd is like, "Oh, Iron Man's gonna kill this guy," and then no, he's actually in a fight. And it just, I'm with you, they, you know, they build him up, you get a great introduction, you get a great fight sequence, and then he does nothing for, what, 60 minutes almost? Yeah, he basically does nothing until the final fight scene. And that's and, what I mean, like, uh, I think the problem with Whiplash is they needed to, they needed to kick him back into play earlier than that. Like, I, you know, if, I think if I were to rewrite Iron Man 2... At about the time that Tony's eating donuts in the sign, I would have had him attack him in the Crimson Dynamo slash Whiplash armor um, and have him win the fight. I'd have had him beat the fuck out of Tony and have him have to be, like, rescued by, by Rhodey or have him be rescued well, not, by S.H.I.E.L.D. Not yeah, you got Nick Fury and you got the Black Widow right there to drive him off. Right. I would have had, you know, like, they don't, take, they don't necessarily take out Whiplash, but... Uh, they incapacitate him long enough to save Tony from getting killed, and that, and then that leads into, well, while we have you here, <laughs> we'd yeah. like to cure you of your death and then give you your father's notes. Which, as I said last night, I was okay with the father's notes stuff. I wasn't okay with the father's notes being useless and him finding the shit in the in the diorama in Pepper's office. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. That whole thing was. Way too much, uh, you know, Deus Ex Machina. Just too much of it. But, which is really sad, because I liked a lot of what Mickey Rourke was able to do as Whiplash. Uh, this is in the middle of his career renaissance that came about after The Wrestler. He's got the right presence, he's got the right voice. I mean, he's got everything you kind of want, and then everyone who wrote it just kind of dropped the ball. Uh, right up until the very end, when I mean, he is able to kind of handle both Iron Man and War Machine at the same time, and then 
just stupidly ignores the fact that, hey, look, colliding repulsor rays, they happen to meet right about face level. Uh, which, again, I just I feel that was a real missed opportunity with them as far as what Rourke could have done with that character were it written and executed better. Yeah, this, but, is what they uh, done. this is what they should have done. You introduce them the way that they did in Monaco perfectly. Justin Hammer breaks them out. I'm okay with that. Justin Hammer says, build me suits. Okay? So, he does, so instead of spending an hour manipulating Justin Hammer, why don't you just do what you're told? Build the fucking suit and then escape. Okay? Because... <laughs> Burst out of just, I will crush him, you know, and just brah, right out of Justin Hammer's uh, lair or wherever the hell it was. that he, Heck, he, he could have killed Hammer at that point in time and saved us all the aggravation of Sam Rockwell on screen. You know, well, hang on, because I still, I still think you need him. <laughs> so I, so he goes after Tony. Tony at this point is, you know, is drunk, and this is after the party scene or whatever. I, you know, he could have attacked him while he was eating donuts, and he never gets his helmet back on. You know, and he kicks the living shit out of Tony. Gets, Tony gets saved by S.H.I.E.L.D., and he's like, oh, I missed my chance. And then, you know, then reintroduce Justin Hammer and saying, you know, like, you need something more. You know, offer still I some, my offer still stands. You need something more. Come back. Let's finish the job. And then have him build the drone. You know, that, have him, like, imp- you know, do m- another improvement on the armor and then have him build the drones you know, and say, okay, now it's whip, you know, Whiplash slash Crimson Dynamo and an army of drones. Like, I don't mind the way the, the way the movie ends. But, but it's how you get there. Yeah, but they missed a step. Um, and then do that same ending where, uh, you know, where he has control over the war machine armor and he's attacking everybody with this army of drones and he shows up in, you know, in, in, the, in, a, you know, in the third evolution of that armor. Would have made, to me, the best sense. Yeah, but, you know, what do we know? We're just guys who think logically about things and are on a podcast. <laughs> yep. All right, next up we get to, finally, a villain who doesn't suck out loud uh, in the form of Loki in the first Thor movie. Oh, thank heavens we finally get a villain with a bit of arc, a bit of backstory, a bit of, you know, emotional depth. Because, and here's why I feel this way. Look, Loki is a character you kind of feel for. When you first meet him, he's kind of a dick, but he's not malicious. You know, he lets the uh, Frost Giants into Asgard just to screw with Thor's big day. He's cl- you know, clearly not the physical fighter the rest of them are, and the other characters that we meet. And he just, he likes to, you know, kind of screw around, and he's just, um, what do I think? Like, I, I think the uh, best comparison as far as overall feel would probably be uh, Cesar Romero's Joker. He's a moderately, you know, malicious clown. In the, he's again, the god he, of mischief. He's exactly yeah. what he is, the god of mischief. And he just, you know, he just kind of screws with things, but you understand why he's around, you understand why they like being around him, because he's not, at his core, you know, a complete douchebag. He's not evil. He's just, you know, a little bit off kilter. Then he finds out, I mean, the scene when he confronts Odin about actually being a frost giant is extraordinarily well done. It's very well acted. And you feel for the guy a little bit. Here's a guy who's been lied to his entire life about who he is, where he comes from, and what he can possibly become in the future. Makes sense that he'd go a little bit crazy, don't you think? And his goal is to be king of Asgard because that's what he felt he was promised as a child and then had that whole thing ripped away from him. And, again, you don't root for him because he's, at this point, overly malicious and wants to, you know, blow up half of New Mexico and kill Thor and is utterly incapable of being the type of ruler you actually need. 
but he's not just there. He has an arc. He travels as from an emotional standpoint. And we understand his, you know, journey from that particular... And it's just... There's a reason that he is still, you know, used and talked about when it comes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because he's the only villain they've given any degree of serious effort into developing. Alright, my thoughts. That, that's my thought there. That's my brief rant. So, Mark, Loki, what do you got? Um, you know, it's been such a while since I've seen Thor. Uh, I here's, I will agree with you um, in the sense that I think he's the most well-developed villain that they've got, which isn't fucking saying much. No, it, he stands head and shoulders above everyone else by comparison more than by you know, comparing him to the rest of the villains in the MCU. He stands, you know, apart as this is what you should all be aiming for. You compare him to, you know, other well-developed characters uh, across, you know, in another property... He's still okay, but he benefits a lot from comparison as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, okay. Let me pull away from Twitter for just one second. Uh, he's he's an actual character as opposed to just a mustache-twirling villain. You know, you and I talked about like, characters like Maleficent who are evil for the sake of being evil and how sometimes that can be a very good thing. Um, on the other hand, it can also just be an underdeveloped villain. Um, Loki's as three-dimensional a character as you're going to get in the Marvel Cinematic Universe – who isn't an Avenger. Um, he's the most interesting. He, ha- he has the most sympathetic backstory. Um, he's played he's played so well by Tom Hiddleston. I mean, you know, that they were talking about giving him his own movie. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's how good he is. And, you know, you really, you can't take anything away from him. He's just, you know, he's as perfect a, he's as perfect a Marvel villain as you're going to get. Um, unfortunately, I don't think he's given enough to do in the first movie. Um, you know, it, it ends up. It, the movie is is pretty much focused around trying to take decades of Thor's uh, exile from Asgard and his living as Donald Blake on Earth and uh, whittling it down to a long weekend. <laughs> so, you know, and I, it's Loki who sends the destroyer at him, isn't it? Like Loki yeah. figures out that he's been exiled, and he says, "Well, here's a good opportunity for me to kill my brother." So he sends down the destroyer. Am I remembering that right? Okay. That's what happens, pretty much. Okay, and I'm guessing at some point, I know he, I know he beats the destroyer, and then I'm guessing. Well, the that, destroyer you know, kills him, but Thor sacrifices himself to save everyone else in doing so. That is kind of the final piece that makes him actually worthy to wield Mjolnir again. He gets the hammer back, and then yes, he beats. Okay, and then how does he? I forget how does uh, he end up beating Loki? Uh. Loki tries to unleash the full power of the Bifrost onto Jotunheim, which would destroy the entire planet. Thor winds up collapsing the Rainbow Bridge that connects the Bifrost to Greater Asgard. They both fall into the abyss. Odin shows up at the last minute to grab them. Loki decides he doesn't want to live in a world with Odin, who he has displeased. He drops into the abyss of space and is later found by Thanos and given the Mind Stone, and that leads into the Avengers. And that is, then that's all I have to say about Loki in the original Thor movie. All right, moving on. Uh, real briefly, though, about that, I did like the visualization of the Destroyer. He looked pretty sweet, and that's all that character is. He's just an unthinking destruction destruction machine. Oh, but he looked cool. The, the, the Destroyer isn't a character; it's a tank. I know, and I just I like that it actually looked cool on screen. When again, they could have botched that. No, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. He, you know. For a walking tank, he looked awesome. Uh, the other thing about Thor, real quickly, is I thought it was interesting that we got to see 
the shield team specifically, you know, Coulson and whatnot, as a bit more of the villains. They're the they're not evil, but they're kind of the opposing force to Thor and Jane and Stellan Skarsgård and what's your face? Uh, who I kind of want to see die, actually. Uh, Darcy. The chick from Two Broke Girls. Whatever. The, the point is, I liked seeing Coulson be a bit of... He, to this point, we had seen him in a couple of the Iron Man movies. And he's been kind of the, you know, the small fish to the you know, shark that is Iron Man and Nick Fury and whatnot. It was nice to see him be kind of the other side of that, see him be the big fish in the smaller pond and be just... Uh, just condescending enough to make you go, you know, I know you're a good guy, but at the moment, I kind of want to see Thor punch you in the face. And I like, the again, the little wrinkle there, and it shows kind of the flip side of S.H.I.E.L.D., which you know, becomes more of an issue later. But just a real briefly, I wanted to mention that I like that aspect of it, that we got just, you know, the civilians being run over by the giant government agents. And it was a nice you know, wrinkle for them to throw in there. Uh, my final thought there. All right, moving on, we had another villain who... Th- okay, when we, you and I just barely mentioned, there are villains who are evil just to be evil, and that's fine and dandy, and I can't think of a better example than the Red Skull, who is just evil to be evil. He's a Nazi, he's a borderline super soldier, he wants to wipe out most of the world and rule it. He's, uh, again, he's everything you kind of want, and you have the great Hugo Weaving, which was perfect casting by and large, uh, portraying him. His plan makes sense, more or less, You know how he wants to accomplish it. His goal, again, world domination makes sense. He's a Nazi, and that's kind of what they wanted to do. He just rejected a lot of the crazier notions that Hitler had as far as you know eugenics and whatnot. He just, anyone who opposes me is my enemy, and I now have the power of the Tesseract to rain down death upon them. And he's just evil to be evil, and it's great. I'm happy, I'm perfectly content with Red Skull being evil to be evil. I mean, I'm glad there's not, you know, we get his backstory, but it's not anything that would make you sympathize or even empathize, really. It just lets you know that he's not completely flat. And you don't have to, again, evil to be evil does not mean flat. It just means static. And they're not the same thing. And again, I was really happy with that. He had the right air. He had the right menace. I can see again his you know, him leading an entire subset of Nazis that become devoted to him like a like he's a cult leader. Uh, I have no complaints about the Red Skull other than I'm not sure they're going to be bringing him back at all, which is a crying shame by and large because there's so much fun you could have with that character. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I actually think that uh, Captain America: The First Avenger is one of the most underrated movies. I think it. I think it had the the dubious. Uh, distinction of being released around the same time as Thor and I think by that point people had Marvel fatigue you know the Avengers got people excited again and then phase two released so many good movies that Marvel fatigue wasn't an issue anymore but I will tell you that I I honestly think that people were just getting uh, uh, until the Avengers came out people were getting a little tired of the and and it's Marvel's own fault because you know like we said with the Incredible Hulk Thor, um, Iron Man 2, you know, you had a lot of cookie cutter, the same thing happening in every movie, and it it, it was starting to drive people crazy. And so, you know, Captain America didn't do as good as it could have when it's probably one of the best Marvel movies that they've done, especially especially in Phase 1. It's it's a standout in Phase 1. It's also incredibly underrated. 
um, when you talk about like an origin story for a character, you know, no, here's a guy who you know desperately wants to fight in World War II and can't because he's a, he's a shrimp, you know, and he sacrifices himself. His to, laundry you know, list of physical pro- ailments. Yeah. Um, you know, and he sacrifices himself to be in this program only to then be used as a propaganda tool. And he said, you know, and then he says to hell with this, you know, I've been given this I gift from fight. God to use it. Right. And then he takes the, you know, and he takes the war to the Red Skull, um, you know, and becomes this legend and then sacrifices himself in the end, um, only to be brought back to life, you know, 30, 40 years later. I, I actually, I find that to be, uh, next to be longer than that, but um, you know I find they that said to be 70 very, something, which is 70, probably yeah. about correct. Um, to be a very interesting movie, and I thought the first Avenger was was very well done. But and a lot of that goes to Hugo Weaving and his portrayal of the Red Skull. It also has to go to the fact that he had the most interesting of motives and uh, and plots to deal with. You know, he had his uh, his plan was, you know, he wanted to use the Tesseract to build weapons to win the war. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I don't have a whole lot to say there or criticize. You know, we're, we're in the middle of World War II. The Nazis want to win. He, he has this thing that can create super weapons to do so, and give the Nazi an advantage, and so he goes about doing so. Um, and we get our introduction to Hydra here, who becomes, you know, the other big bad of the Marvel Universe. I, I don't, like... What's there to criticize here? So um, no, I, Hugo, I'm with you as far as that overall movie being com- uh, criminally underrated. It's one of my favorite. I mean, again, I like Thor because there are things about it that appeal to me. If I had to pick, probably what I think is one of the best made of the of all the Marvel movies, this one's up there. I mean, I know with Phase Two, production values went up. Thing, you know, things changed a little bit, but I, you know, First Avenger still holds up to me. I can still easily sit down and watch this movie and enjoy it. Yeah, it's one of the first ones I actually bought. You know, like I don't, um, I, I'm starting to buy more of them now because I'm rewatching them, you know, for different shows and whatnot. But of, of, of all of the Marvel movies that came out up until, up until the Avengers, the only, the, the only two that I, that I owned at one point were the incredible Hulk and the first Avenger. Um, yeah, and, uh, real briefly then, uh, real quick, uh, your quick thoughts on this, uh, their version of Artem Zola, who is he's my, uh, next to Loki, he's my favorite villain in the Marvel Universe. He's awesome. <laughs> he is... He's such a fun, kind of sniveling Weasley character, who's just... Whatever way the wind's blowing, that's the way he's gonna bend. He also gets think one of the better gets, lines in that movie. Well, not only that, but I think he truly... He truly steps into his own... And he only has one scene, but it's like the, one of the best scenes in the movie, when you get to Winter Soldier. <laughs> yeah. Um... But yeah, I enjoyed Arms though. I enjoyed you know, Hugo Weaving really had a difficult task ahead of him. So he had to play a guy, you know, who who's literally a whose face is a red skull. And it could have, I mean, if you've ever seen any of the old Captain America movies that they've 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 you know, tried their hand at this a few times. Um it it could have easily been over the top and ridiculous and silly, uh, and it wasn't. You know. Um fortunately for all those that you know, Marvel, Hugo Weaving is a hell of an actor. Well, this is a guy who can properly emote through the mask and V for Vendetta. Uh, I don't think the ad- the prosthetics that they used to make the Red Skull were going to slow him down. Yeah, 
So he's not he's not tremendously over the top, you know. He's just you know he's a guy. He was a man with a mission, and he wasn't going to let Captain America stop him from completing the mission. And that's what you get out of him, and it and it worked. Yeah, and his again his contrast with Steve Rogers is pretty awesome because again he's a guy who is a genius in his own right and very much wants to be the the superior man. And then you've got Rogers, who is just this scrawny kid from Brooklyn to begin with, and you know it's not. And he winds up being the hero while Zol- while uh, Schmidt is just, you know, the maniac. <laughs> right, then, after the first Avenger, we released the Avengers, in which we brought Loki back as the primary villain with a minor supporting role to the mad titan Thanos. Uh, anything you want to touch on from this that we didn't touch on previously when discussing Loki? Well, I think Loki, you know, steps away from being the god of mischief, you know, and the sort of uh, the the angry brother and become, becomes the true menace in the Avengers. Um, I have several problems with how the Avengers was executed. I have several problems with, you know, what they call the plot. Um, yeah. and, I, and I really, and, and I even have some problems with, you know, how they portray Loki in, you know, in as far as, Oh, well, my all along, my setup was to get you all together so that I could have the Hulk tell you apart. Uh, okay. Um, but at least yeah, when when, when even Tony Stark can tell you that's a bad plan, you should probably have rethought it in the beginning in the developmental phase. <laughs> um, but I uh, that doesn't mean he doesn't light up the screen when he's on it. He's the most interesting part of the Avengers, to be honest with you. And he has some of the he has some great lines, you know, of dialogue. You know, will you ever not fall for that? <laughs> <laughs> and Thor still yeah. falls for it. He really does. Right. Right? Like every time. <laughs> His interaction with the Black Widow, you know, you sniveling cur or whatever he calls her, you know, that whole You'll change. Be, yeah. Right. Um, he's a, you know, I'll have that drink. If it's all the same to you, I'll have that drink now. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, I think my favorite thing about his performance here is the way that, the understated way that he is on Thanos' leash. You see him mm-hmm. talk with uh, the other at one point, and even when Thor tries to get him to stop the invasion, the look on his face, you can almost see he's thinking back to what Thanos is capable of. And go, I, I can't. I need to get this. I need to give the Tesseract to him after I have the Earth. And I need to never, ever be anywhere near this individual again because of the types of things he could do to you. <laughs> you don't get it, brother. He's going to murderize me. Yeah, and uh, what's the line from the other? He'll make you long for something as pure as pain. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's why I don't want to belabor this because we've already talked about the guy. But I think he, I liked Loki in the Avengers more than I liked him in Thor. I can see that. All right, uh, after the Avengers, I would, and I don't, again, Thanos will get a brief discussion of kind of towards the end here. Uh, the Chitari are just the mindless soldiers; they don't bear any discussion, and we already <laughs> talked about Loki. <laughs> The Tatari might as well have been the robots from the Phantom. Or Ultron bots. I mean, really. They could have been anything. They were just there. All right. Uh, next up, after the Avengers, we get Iron Man 3. And the much-debated merit of this particular movie. Mandarin um, <laughs> Yeah, if this were the 50s, the Mandarin twist would be a dance instead of a much-belabored plot point. <laughs> <sighs> I have issues with it. I don't know. Before we get into too you much, Iron me. Man 3 has the... You heard me last night. You already know what I'm going to say. I do. Uh, overall, with Iron Man 3, uh, real briefly, 
this is first and foremost a Shane Black movie. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware of Shane Black and you know what the types of things he does, his writing style is very distinct once you recognize it. That's not a bad thing, mind you. Again, Spielberg has a distinctive style. Tarantino has a distinctive style. All, di- all directors should have their own particular visual style and things they bring to it. I mean, Michael Mann has really glossy shots and a lot of swooping stuff from crane cameras that make you want to vomit a little bit. Paul Greengrass loves him some shaky cam jump cuts. It's just the styles that they bring. And Iron Man 3 is a Paul Black movie. If that's not your thing, you're not going to like the movie by and large. Uh, I'll throw that out there for the overall tone. My issue with the Mandarin twist is not so much that they had it. I'm okay with them having it. I'm okay with Ben Kingsley is actually, you know, the character is actually, it's actually a British stage actor of no real repute who is found by AIM and hired to impersonate this character of the Mandarin for the purposes of misinformation and whatnot. I'm fine with that. My issue was Guy Pearce, because here's a guy who, throughout the entire movie, has a specific role that he fills. Mid-level, you know, jackass playboy that you kind of want to see get stepped on the neck. And I, my big problem was he goes from that for nearly two hours, he is in that role, to all of a sudden going toe-to-toe with Iron Man. And it's too radical a jump. Again, I'm fine with Mandarin is actually British actor. I, I don't hate it. I hate the way they executed it, and I hate the fact that they went back, that they fell onto, hey, look, here's Guy Pierce. It's the rough equivalent, if you don't mind some professional wrestling uh, comparisons. This is Heath Slater suddenly going toe-to-toe with John Cena with no appropriate build. That's how I felt it about was, that whole sequence. Actually, that's what I was thinking of. It was me, Austin. It was me all along. Uh, I almost... I was the Mandarin. No, shut up. <laughs> uh, that's my, that's my big... Oh, I'm the Mandarin. I, I wanted it to turn into Spock. No, I'm the I'm Mandarin. Mandarin. <laughs> no, I'm the Mandarin. I'm the Mandarin. Well, I'm uh, the Get out of here. I'm Spartacus. What? Well, we found him. <laughs> ah, crap. Now, again, that, that's my big gripe from a villain standpoint with Iron Man 3. I don't mind the movie. I don't mind its structure. I It's not perfect, but it actually holds up a lot better than you think it does, especially once you're not nerd-raging over that twist. Uh, the rest, it holds up very, very well. And again, my issue isn't that they had that twist in there. It's I feel like they had it there just to have it. It wasn't serving the narrative. It was, oh, look, this will be neat. And everyone's like, okay, now what? Oh, we've already got well, Guy like- Pierce here. That'll work. <laughs> Well, that's what I said last night. I said, I, I said the same thing. I said I don't have a problem. First of all, I don't hold to you know I I I'm not you know Gavin Napier type where if it doesn't 100% reflect the source materials, all Sentinels must not be Nimrods, and all Nimrods must not be Sentinels, uh, kind of a thing. Where's Tom Bombadil? Where is he? Um, I'm just not that guy, you know. Show me a good movie, I'll tell you it's a good movie. I don't care if it reflects the comic book or not. My problem with the Mandarin twist, yeah, da, 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 is that, and, and, this is, and, I, and I said a similar thing to what you said last night, is that at the end of the day, it didn't serve the narrative at all. You know, um, by, by doing that, you know, you're absolutely right. Guy Pierce, 
Guy Pierce was a guy who was snubbed by by Tony Stark. Went and fat, went and started AIM anyway. Got the extremist thing rolling, and the first thing he wants to do is sell it to Tony Stark. And when he's turned down again, he wants to kill Tony Stark. And this whole thing was just an elaborate plot to kill Tony Stark. And it's like, okay. If I could bust out another one of your chestnuts, you mean the FBI knew the CIA was setting them up with the NSA? (laughs) Right. You know, like, this seems a little overboard if if that's all you're trying to accomplish. I mean, you don't even want to take Stark Enterprises? You you don't want to marry Pepper Potts? I mean, I... Like what you're talking about a guy who creates you know you know this great thing an extremist and and he's so focused on just wanting to kill Tony Stark at this point it's like it's kind of a very it was it was a very weak motive for everything that was doing and it didn't and and by extension it then didn't need the Mandarin twist you didn't need to create this Osama bin Laden character you know just to you know just to do it you you just could have done it you know you yeah. could have create you you could have created a situation to draw Tony Stark out, you know, I mean, what, what would happen? He, they, they accidentally blew happy up and, you know, and Tony says, I, you know, I, I dare you to come to my house. And so they do. <laughs> and well, that's my well, other gripe, I think. And this is a much more vague one, but you had in the, you know, the fake version of the Mandarin, you had a great character. You had the makings of something that could have been, interesting and threatening and maybe lived through, you know, a couple of more films, been, and I know this was the last Iron Man one, but you could have done stuff with him. He's a terrorist. Captain America can go after him. I mean, there were things you could have done with this theoretical version of the Mandarin, and instead you drug it out into the street, shot it in the head, and said, no, there will never be another Mandarin again because of how we handled this. And that bothers me more than I think anything else about it. That was the thing, you know, what I really hated about it was it starts off where he's calling out the president, you know, Mr. President, you must learn lessons. And, and this, again, is sort of, a, you know, going over the kind of stuff they were dealing with in Iron Man 1, and then none of it mattered. Yeah. Literally, none of that stuff that he says mattered. It was just, you know, it made for great commercials, but ultimately it added nothing to the film. Other than to falsely elevate your hopes about Ben Kingsley being an evil bastard on screen and being all kinds of awesome at it. Yeah. Yeah, I... uh I was not a fan. Uh, all right. Uh, after that, and I know uh, actually Long Road Druin title card artist Ben Cologne wanted to call in when we got to Thor 2. So if you're listening out there, uh, we're moving on to Thor the Dark World right now. And we get Thor the Dark World is an interesting movie in that uh, Malekith is not a very good villain. I mean, him and the whole Dark Elves. They're not explored. They're not discussed. You get the opening montage, and you get a little bit more from Odin later on. That kind of explains a bit about them, but it's not... They don't... There's no, like, discussion of the whole... I mean, they're supposed to be the last of the civilization. And his goal is to utilize the ether, which is actually the uh, reality stone of the Infinity Gems. It's the reality gem. To warp it so that the world now conforms... The entire universe conforms to a set of circumstances where it's conducive for their race to repopulate and come back from the brink of extinction. Now, as I say that, it's not uninteresting. It's executed horribly. He's just another villain after a MacGuffin to destroy the universe. And it's really, really sad. And we wind up falling back on Loki as kind of an anti-hero. And it just... It was 
just such a missed opportunity. And I'm not even saying that because we have to make Malekith like he was in the comics. I'm much happier with him being, in broad strokes, the character he is in the movie. But it's he's never there. He's almost never on screen. He's not given sense or presence or expanded motivations or anything other than he wants to wreck the universe. And it's really sad. And, uh, I mean, more than anything, I think this is kind of a missed opportunity. And for as much fun as I have with him, uh, his final fight with Thor is awesome uh, by almost every, you know, measurable metric of... But, and just imagine how much better it would have been if he actually mattered. And instead, he doesn't. And it's really sad. So I have to tell you about Princess Ivy, okay? Princess Ivy... First of all, let me go back a step. In Sophia the First, she has a magic amulet that was given to her by King Roland when she, you know, is adopted into his family. And what nobody knows is that that this amulet has magic powers. It grants her the ability to talk to animals and to understand them. But it also um, allows her to call upon the great Disney princesses of the past whenever she's in dire need. It's kind of like the, it's kind of like the matrix of leadership. In her darkest hour, it'll, it'll, you know, it'll, light, uh, it'll light her darkest hour. So um, this has given Disney an opportunity to bring in, like, various princesses uh, from, from the Disney canon into Sophia the First. So she's had interactions with, like, you know, Snow White and Cinderella and Rapunzel and Jasmine, et cetera, et cetera. Um, her stepsister steals the amulet while she's sleeping because she's jealous that, that she's had these interactions and that she has such a special thing and she's kind of a brat. She's not a terrible character, but she's definitely kind of suffering from, like, hey, you know, I was the big cheese until you showed up uh, kind of a thing. So she steals the amulet, and she says, I want a princess of my very own. So she, you know, so she gets the amulet to produce a princess. And because she's, a, because she's kind of a shithead, instead of getting the good princess, she gets a bad one. She gets Princess Ivy. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because Princess Ivy's thing is that she turns everything black and white, okay? And that's it. That's what she does. She turns everything black and white, and now that she's out of the lamp, essentially, she's out of the amulet, you know, she goes about trying to take over the kingdom so she doesn't have to go back in the amulet. But along the way, she's robbing everything of color. And that would have been a more interesting villain. (laughs) (laughs) Ivy in Thor, the Dark World, instead of Malekith. Because as uh, much as uh, they said that water turned the whole world dark, all he ends up doing is, I mean, and I grant you, that whole final fight scene cinematically is awesome. It's one of the best in, you know, other than the Avengers, it's one of the best in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Unfortunately, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's like an in-your-house pay-per-view. It's hurry up and get to the main event already. Because Malekith is about as uninteresting a character as you're going to get besides Ronan the Accuser. He's just, you know... I'd even say Ronan has more interest than Malekith does. Yeah, that's what I would say. We'll get to him in a minute or two. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Malekith, I mean, at the beginning of the movie, it's like he wanted to turn the whole world dark. Okay, him and Princess Ivy have a thing. I got it. And then (laughs) they never really go back to it. You know, it just becomes another, I want to destroy the... Uh, uh, Hang on, we got Ben on the line. I want to make sure he gets his chance to speak his piece here. All right, go ahead, Ben. You're on the air. Good evening, gentlemen. I thought I was done with all of my Skype problems, but guess what? It's Skype. There's always going to be problems. Yeah. Well, anyway, first of all, welcome back, sir. 
Thank you. I I would actually welcome back both of you guys. Um, so yeah, I specifically wanted to call in about this. Um, I've been listening. I've been enjoying it so far. Never in the history of ever did I think I'd hear anyone say the word Superman three did it right. But here we are. <laughs> Did you like that incorporation of Sophia the First into his conversation about Marvel Cinematic Villains? I only caught the tail end of that. I was too busy uh, trying to find the Skype button and failing at that because uh, it's not there. Um, okay. Well, go ahead. When this podcast is over, go watch Superman 3 and uh, and Sophia the First, The Rise of Princess Ivy or whatever the hell it's called. Um, and you'll thank sure. you for it when it's over. Sure thing. Um, yeah, I... Um, it, I it kind of seems like a weird place for me to jump in here with uh, thoughts on Thor 2, but that's because uh, for me, um, for me, I consider Thor 2 to be the, the weakest Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. I don't completely dislike it, but there's so much missed opportunity in this movie, and I really like the first Thor. Um, there's so much missed opportunity in this movie, and I, I'm speaking very specifically, uh, very specifically about Malachi's and I'm speaking about that as a Doctor Who fan. Well, and it is Christopher Eccleston. And very specifically a Ninth Doctor fan. I I know from, you know, I know from experience, Christopher Eccleston is a brilliant actor. He's great in just about everything. He is absolutely criminally wasted in this movie like no other actor that I've seen in any other Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. I can barely remember a single line of dialogue that he spoke in that movie. I can I can barely remember what, what the hell the Dark Elves' uh, ultimate plan was. Uh, that's how uninteresting he was. He was made out to be in this movie. I, I can't wrap my head around how you make somebody who's so good into something, into into a character, and make him, give him a chance to be a villain, a pretty cool-looking villain, and just make him so incredibly boring that he... The, the other problem with that, with this uh, movie that I had was, um, you know, the only chance that he had to look kind of awesome, uh, aside from, you know, stuff at the end, which was more special effects stuff and, and Hemsworth being Hemsworth uh, and, and that sort of thing, but... The only other chance he had to be kind of awesome was when uh, he was fighting Thor's mother, played by Rene Russo, who was also wasted across two movies. And they both got to look, have a glimpse of looking awesome for about five minutes before she's killed and he disappears for a while so that we can get back to family drama between Thor and Loki and Odin. Yeah. I want to pitch, I want to pitch an idea really quick. I want, I want your opinion on it. I, if if I could have, if they said to me, Mark, write, write the second Thor movie. You know, we, we've done the first Thor, we've introduced him. Um, we have this one script called The Dark World. We're not sure if we want to do it. What's your idea? <clears throat> My idea would have been not necessarily yet to go back to Asgard, or not not in the way that they did. My, my idea would have been this. Had the Enchantress uh, steal one of the Infinity Stones, they could have still used the Ether, but made the Ether do something else. And she uses it to get Loki out of prison in Asgard. And uh, while Thor is distracted, um, in doing while Thor is distracted uh, doing things among the nine realms, as they show in the beginning of the movie, they go to Earth, 
and they use the ether to uh, to to essentially create the wrecking crew. If you remember, the wrecking um, the wrecking crew comes about because Loki actually gives one of them like an enchanted crowbar. But I would take it yeah. a little bit further. I would take it a little bit further and say, you know, like they you know they find like this like you know gang of guys or whatever, you know, and give them enchanted stuff, and they and they create like just mayhem in the streets of of uh, Santa Fe or New York or pick a city, um, wherever maybe. Yeah, wherever, uh, wherever they want to set set the movie on Earth, and uh, and then this brings Thor back to Earth. Is that he's you know not, number one they figure out that Loki's gone. Number two, they've got you know people using Asgardian weapons and running around the Earth, you know, just making a mess. Of, um, and you know, and basically the, your villains are the Enchantress, who they could do a kind of a thing with her and Jane, uh, Loki, and the Wrecking. And I think that would have made for a, for a more interesting sequel. To uh, to Thor than what what they ultimately gave us, which was essentially get another character trying to take over the world. Because essentially, this would have gone back to Loki just being, you know what, I'm never going to be king of Asgard, and I'm never going to be, you know, this or that or the other thing. So I'm just going to create as much havoc as I possibly can and give my brother the world's biggest headache. Uh, you got any thoughts on that, Ben? Um, probably would have been better than what we got. <laughs> I imagine it would have been better. Uh, I just really, I can't help but feel they should have done so much more with Malekith. I mean, my issue with the Wrecking Crew is I find them very campy. And, uh, I, I mean, and I don't like campy. I re- I, not to that extent. Could you just imagine some, some, some really fun actors, you know, and they're your regular run-of-the-mill criminals, and suddenly they're given an enchanted weapon? And then just going nuts with it, like oh my God. You know, having fun with an enchanted crowbar, and not having everybody. You know, go ahead, go ahead, Every no, well, a quick thought: like everybody's been trying to fantasy cast Terry Crews in a Marvel movie for a while now, just <laughs> cast him as Thunderball. Okay, that works. Much as I dislike Terry Crews, but I can see that working. Ah, yeah, it'd be awesome. I like it. <laughs> Uh, I don't. I've never enjoyed Terry Crews in anything I've seen him in, with a minor exception to a few of his sequences across the three Expendables movies. And well, maybe him getting killed by Gerard Butler. But other than that, all right. And yeah, I actually kind of view Malekith as probably the low point of villains for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's somewhat ironic that they that he comes right before one of the better iterations that we're going to see here, that we're going to talk about. Because up next is arguably the best of all of these movies from an objective standpoint. Because we get Captain America the Winter Soldier, which is, I think, far and away the best movie out of all of them. It's got a great plot, it's executed properly, things uh, flow in and out. And it's, it's just the best of these as far as being written and executed. And we get, so naturally we get a great couple of villains here. Uh, Specifically, you get the Winter Soldier, uh, played by Sebastian Stan, who is uh, Bucky Barnes, of course. You get Robert Redford as the evil politician that works well. You actually get Frank Grillo, uh, very underrated, playing the the man who will become Crossbones. And uh, you even get a little, you get Arnim Zola as the artificial intelligence uh, there's someone I'm forgetting. Uh, you even get a real short cameo with uh, 
former UFC welterweight champion George St. Pierre as Batroc Zilliper. Uh, and and just everyone in this movie makes sense. Everyone's arcs make sense. Everyone is written well. I don't have a bad thing to say about any of them. So, Mark, just kind of starting with the actual Winter Soldier, uh, Sebastian Stan and his and their take on it. What did you think? Well, other than Arnim Zola, the only, the only interesting uh, villain in terms of <clears throat> being a true villain in the movie with you know with, with truly a malicious intent is the Robert Redford character, who's awesome. He's like the best. He's one of the best villains in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, he, you know, he's definitely towing that line between, you know, trying to serve the greater good by getting, by basically getting rid of, you know, all of these uh, special people that, you know, ultimately that would get in the way of Hydra. But, you know, when you think about what they were planning to do with, with Operation um, Kill All the Heroes, whatever it's called. Um, I know, he, don't know. I don't remember what they called it. But, I mean, you know, like he had a point. You know, when you when you think about guys like Doctor Strange and the Hulk and Cat, you know, and, and Captain America and Iron Man, and you know, and the story that's being told is that you people are more destructive than you are than, than you are good. You can you can see his point. It's still a bad thing that he's doing, and ultimately he's doing it for an even worse purpose. He's doing it to serve Hydra, but but still, you get to see his point. My problem with the Winter Soldier is that he's. On on the one hand, he's kind of like the destroyer. He's just a tank. However, I do realize that underneath this tank, unlike the destroyer, is his character struggling with his identity. You know, they 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 wiped his mind, and he just became a killing machine. And then, you know, he has the interaction with Captain America, and he starts to, uh, you know, he start he starts to, uh, you know, deprogram himself, you know, just enough. But even you know, but even still, he—it's to the very, 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 very end of the movie before he even has an inkling of his humanity back. So you're asking me, you know, what did I think of this tank character who kind of sort of struggles with his with his humanity and his identity? I thought Sebastian Bach or whatever the hell his name is did a great job of portraying the character, but there wasn't much to him. I'm much more interested in seeing what becomes of him in Civil War. This time around, again, he was the human version of the Destroyer. I can see your point there. Again, my the things I like so much about him and what sticks out to my mind, and this is probably selective memory by and large, are, again, the moment when he starts to deprogram his final fight with Captain America when he again breaks his programming. Even to an extent when he goes in to have his mind wiped again, and he's resisting the urge because things don't make sense anymore. I mean, all of the action sequences, he is very, like you said, he's just a tank. It's the in-between stuff that is interesting. And I'm with you with Robert Redford's character of uh, Director Pierce, or Councilman Pierce. He's, uh, like you said, his point is not invalid. Uh, he's going about it incorrectly, and you know the perspective is wrong, but at the under, you know, underneath what he's trying to do is something that is very... You get it. Uh, and again, we had you know the couple of heavies, and again, on the whole, Iron Man or Captain America Two is just probably the best one they've made so far. I have a very hard time seeing any other movie supplanting it in the immediate future. Nothing was a, none of the Civil Marvel Cinematic Universe movies were written as smartly as the Winter Soldier. None of them. Uh, I would. The Iron Man. Some of the Iron Man movies come close, but that's it. You know, the Avengers didn't deal with anything. You know the Avengers. I can. I, 
to this day, I contend that the Avengers is a simulated thrill ride and not a movie. Um, so it deals with nothing. The Dark World was a, was a sci-fi fantasy film, and it dealt with nothing. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, it dealt with things very, very poorly. Yeah, you know, I don't know if there were any real themes there. You know, going going on. It was just a, to me, it was a sci-fi fantasy film. Um, the original Thor, you know, kind of sort of deals with uh, you know being too big for your britches and having to learn humility in a weekend. Um, you know, I'm not going to continue to go over and over and over these lists again, but, you know, none of the, these movies were so intent on getting over their characters and introducing them that they, they tended to fall away from dealing with really big themes and, 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 and playing to the strengths of, of the kinds of things we're struggling with in, in the American conversation right now. You know, wiretapping and the role of government and all of that. When is it okay to start a war? Um, is preemptive striking, you know, a good or bad thing, you know, that that sort of stuff. And the Winter Soldier is really the only one that tried at all to to grasp at any of it. So that to me is why it's you know why it stands far and away the best Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. And you know, I'll probably enjoy Ant Man too. And as I said, I enjoyed Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron at least tries to grasp, you know, with 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 some ideas. But ultimately, uh, I think Civil War. Unless they completely fuck it up, which is which, let's be fair, it's possible. Unless they completely fuck up Civil War, I think Civil War will be the will be the height of Marvel. I I think it's going to end up being the best Marvel movie to date, and I don't think there'll be another one like. I don't think there'll be another one as good. You know, if you look at what's if you look at what they're dealing with in Phase Three, um, it's it's you know it's three or four more origins, you know, or or solo films. You've got a sequel to Guardians of the Galaxy, which I'm sure will be fine. Um, and you've got, uh, you know, Thor Ragnarok, and then the, you know, and then the Avengers: Infinity War. I don't know if there's room or time for any of those movies to deal with the kinds of things that Civil War and the Winter Soldier are attempting to deal with or have dealt with. Now, I completely agree with you there. Um, and again, we'll see because it's entirely possible for them to screw this up. All right. Uh, all right. Next up would be Guardians. We have another caller here. I don't. I should know the area code, but I can't quite place it. So, uh, area code seven four zero. You're live on the air. Uh, who are you, and what do you got to say, or not? Anybody there? Area code seven four zero. Speak or forever hold your peace. All right. I'm going to assume that was a random misdial. Well, if that was again, if someone was trying to call in deliberately, you. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you didn't just hear us. Uh, maybe you had a connection issue. Uh, sorry. That kind of stuff does happen, though. All right, uh, up next is, uh, again, Guardians of the Galaxy, which is probably the second best movie. Again, I prefer Winter Soldier just because I like my things a little bit darker, a little bit heavier. That's what appeals to me. Guardians of the Galaxy is probably the most fun I have with any of these movies. Does a great job of balancing, you know, fun and music and hijinks and action with, you know, character and emotion, and it really is kind of a high watermark as far as being able to blend all of that together, because you have all these different characters, they all need to get introduced, they all need to, you know, have backstories, they all need to be sympathetic, in addition to setting up the rest of the plot, all of that, and when you consider the this would be, in many ways, the rough equivalent of doing the Avengers and having to introduce in one movie Tony Stark, Steve Rogers, 
Thor introducing the team in the same movie that they debut in. And that's, and that's just an odd thing, and it's a difficult thing to balance. And consequently, you're not going to really give a, get a villain that has time to breathe, that has time to do anything. And that's very much the case here in the form of Ronan the Accuser, who just... My problem, here's my problem yeah. with Ronan. Other than the fact that, you know, yet it's another character who wants an Infinity Stone to blow up, the, you know, to, to, in this case, blow up, uh, the, I think it's the Kree planet. Xandar. Okay. And it's not Kree. It's, uh, no, he's a Kree. That he wants to kill the Xandarian. The Xandarian. Okay. Xandar. That's the name of the planet. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of the same. It's the same plot, essentially, from the Dark World. You know, get a thing, use it to cause mass destruction. Got it. Um, um, hang on, real briefly, apparently that was uh, Jesse Starcher who tried to call in a little bit ago. Uh, feel free to try again if you know, if you've got a connection issue, if you've got that worked out. Uh, very happy to hear from you, Mr. Starcher. So anyway, I just uh, had to clear that up for anyone out there who might have been wondering about it. Anyway, back to your point. Um, he has the best line. His best lines are at the beginning of the movie where they're introducing him. And unfortunately, Marvel has this. It's, it's Marvel, the, the people who write these scripts seem to have gone to the George Lucas School of Screenwriting. Ah, uh, fuck it. We don't need a beginning. Let's just start in the middle. The middle's more interesting anyway. So here you have a character who's got a gripe with the Zandarians, such to the point that he, that, that he has decided the whole fucking planet has to go. Okay, what's your gripe with the, with the Zandarians? Show me... You gotta show me something. Yeah, they, they touch on this, and this is something that I think they really could have expanded on if they. I don't know if this was time or studio cuts or whatnot, all of which are very possible and in many ways very valid. But we hear very briefly in the beginning about the multi generational conflict between Xandar and the Kree. And it's just backdrop noise. It's not actually discussed other than him saying, you know, my father and my father and my fa- my father, my father's father and his father before him all fought against you. I reject your peace treaty and I'm going to burn your planet to ashes. Well, oh, that that's fine. But again, the what we're dealing with here in a very real way is uh, borderline nationalistic or religious fundamentalism compounded with generational conflict. That's interesting stuff if it's given time to breathe and given you know, the appropriate exposition handled correctly. And instead, in this case, it's just kind of thrown away as uh, a very loose excuse for motivation. Guardians of the Galaxy, and I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud, and people are going to hear it and go, that's it, Mark Rattles has lost his fucking mind. But you've you got to let me explain myself here and know that we are talking, you know, shades and threads, not wholesale in the shovel. Guardians of the Galaxy needed a Man of Steel over, okay? It needed an extended prologue showing why this guy has it into the Zandarians so badly. Why, you know, why he's gotten to the point where he's just like, fuck it, I need a new (laughs) You people have to go. Um, and I would, you know, and and I don't need 20 minutes necessarily, but give me, give me five minutes. Give me 10 minutes of Something where you know where he is pushed to the brink uh, that that he has to you know and concoct this plan and take it this far. Um, uh, you know what the conflict between the Kree and the Zandarians are. The problem is monologuing is not good. You can have good mono- monologues are, can be good when used you know appropriately sparingly, but a monologue should not be a substitute for a scene uh, that you know that gives you. The, uh, the, the gives you plot. You know, I, I, a lot of reviewers 
get annoyed where they have like these huge just plot dump scenes and it's everyone talking. Well, movies are not stand-up comedy. They're not talk radio. They're not podcasts. Movies are a, a viewing experience. It's show me, don't tell me. So give me five to ten minutes of the conflict. Be, you, know, be, you know, you start the movie with the kid being abducted and then, you know, and then, you know, credit and then show And then before you get to him doing the moonwalk, literally, show me five to ten minutes of the Xandar, uh, of the Xandar Creek uh, conflict. And then end it with him saying, this is, you know, this shall not stand. The, uh, some, I will do something about this. Then flash to him, you know, stealing the, 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 the Infinity Stone and going from there. It's not enough for him just to be – because, you, like, I remember watching it with my wife, who's not a sci-fi fantasy fan. And as much as she liked Guardians of the Galaxy, she liked everything else about Guardians of the Galaxy. But I could tell her glaze over when he's doing that, that beginning monologue. And you know why? Because no one wants to hear someone do, you know, so, someone do a speech about how much they hate somebody. Show it to me. Show me what it is he hates about them. You know, show me – um, you know, they, they open with this sort of bizarre religious ceremony, but that had nothing to do with the Zandari. That was him, like, you know, like putting on his war paint. So that's my big issue with him in Guardians of the Galaxy, because everything else was fine. Um, you know, I like Ronan more than I liked uh, Malekith. Well, he was, like, at least a more interesting character. But again, the things that were interesting about them are talked about, are a part of his, are a part of his character makeup, but you don't get to see him do a lot. I, I wish they showed Ronan doing more. You know, I like the fact that he was sort of a religious nutbag, and I wish I saw more of that and less of got to get the thing, got to get the thing, got to get the thing. And, and now I'm going to fight with Drac. Frankly, well, I would like to... I watching him beat up Drac is fine. Family. What was that? Yeah. No, I'm with you. I hit, seeing, you know, maybe even just a flashback of him killing... Drax's family and wrecking his planet would have been great. Yeah, and just you know something other than what we got, which is really sad because Lee Pace is a fine actor who could have handled you know he's able to believably say he wants to come kill Thanos, which is not something you say lightly, and more importantly, he knows exactly who Thanos is, and you know he can handle it as an actor. It's just never actually discussed or brought about and and it's really sad that again another just pretty substantially missed opportunity yeah for Ronan to have worked he needed to be more Darth Vader in the Empire Strikes Back and less Malika yeah yeah I can see that uh, real briefly as far as again further villains here we actually get a little bit of screen time from Thanos in Guardians of the Galaxy now, Thanos, of course, is the quintessential be-all, end-all villain for not just the cinematic universe, but Marvel Comics. It's, it's, it's Thanos. He's the one there standing at the end saying, I wish to end everything. And Okay, hang on. I think we have Jesse calling in again. Let's see if we can get this working this time. Uh, Jesse, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me now? Yeah, we got you. <laughs> All right. I was worried. Hey, your telephone bill, man. Well, I, I, shit. Uh, well, at least, I mean, I can understand how, you know, Ben's got problems with Skype and the time I try to call in on a cell phone and nothing works. So I don't know what the hell is going on. But um, anyway, uh, I wanted to, I just wanted to call in. First off, welcome you back there, Robert. I, I'm, I'm just glad to hear everyone loves a bad guy back on the uh, podcast airwaves. Um, 
I had a quick question for you guys. Okay, we I want to fast forward to the future. All right, and we're gonna I want to talk Civil War just like you guys were a few minutes ago. But do you think there's going to be when we have the Civil War? Do you think it's just going to be heroes versus heroes, or do you think there's going to be an underlying villain? In there, no, somewhat pulling the string. Baron Zemo. The plot of Civil War is basically the, old, the, the bad, bad guy is Baron Zemo. The, guy, the villain that sets off the Civil War is Crossbones, which is Frank Grillo. Um, but yes, there is a conflict that arises between Captain America's Avengers and Tony Stark slash S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and they will fight each other, but but they all but they all come back in the end to fight Baron Zemo. Okay, all right. So that's going to be their unifying point. Now you guys were talking about how you know not possible that Marvel could fuck this up. Is there? I, I honestly don't think it could be. Anything's possible, but I don't I don't think it could be. Would you guys agree that some of the greatest battles between superpowered beings in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Or hero versus hero at some point. Jesse, you're stealing my thunder. You're giving away. <laughs> you're 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 giving away my big reveal at the end of this podcast. Who I think the greatest villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe really is. Oh, was, all right then. And it was right. proved in Age of Ultron. So we're gonna come back. Wait, to it. it's actually the Hulk. No. Well, you want me to do this now? I certainly no, I don't, no, I don't wait, want to steal anybody's thunder. I, I would pace it as well as you want to pace it there, Mark. I certainly I don't want to rush things. All right. No, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it now. Because um, who the fuck are we going to talk about next, Yellow Jacket? A um, little bit. <laughs> no, no, we were going to end with... Uh, and we are just pretty much going to end there. So, yeah, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Mark. Okay. Actually, who I think the greatest villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, when you come right down to what has been the overall story they've been telling up to Civil War... It's Tony Stark. If you think about the damage that Tony Stark has done, um, you know he created the Iron Man suits, you know, in order to get his tech back, you know, bombs and whatnot from people who shouldn't have had them. But what? It, but kind. But kind of like Batman, you know, you started off with just a city, you know, in danger from uh, from the mob, and what you created was a city in danger from psychopaths and nutbags in costumes. You know, the Batman made Gotham an even worse place to live, by you know, by and large. And I think that's where Tony, where, where, where Tony is coming from in creating Iron Man and being a part of this greater universe. You know, what, what does he do? He goes on to he. If you think about the Iron Man arc, how many times has he put Happy and Pepper in danger because he decided to become Iron Man? By extension, how many times? You know, how many times did he? put the earth in danger by trying to protect it. Um, the latest example being Ultron. I mean, it's a situation that caused him to quit being, for the time being, being Iron Man in the first place, because he realizes that everything he touches, you know, creates a bigger mess than what he intended. So I would tell you that he's actually the biggest villain. And when you come right down to it, you know, here's a guy who, um, who's going to fall in line with S.H.I.E.L.D. and saying that superheroes should serve a greater master, that they shouldn't... Uh, they shouldn't be free people. Well, that's a villain's point of view. That goes back to Robert Redford in The Winter Soldier. You know, here's a guy that says, you know, you people are, are, are dangerous and need, to be, and need to be killed, quite frankly, but killed, controlled. You know, we're talking about shades of gray now. So I would tell you that, that, that at the end of the day, the guy that started the trouble, the guy that continues the trouble, and the guy that doesn't know, 
you know, that doesn't know his own strength in terms of the damage he causes is Tony Stark. Fair assessment. Fair assessment. Now, I would agree with that. I'm actually looking forward to Civil War in terms of Stark being a villain and one who is convinced that he's in the right because that those are the best kinds. Uh, as far as looking ahead to Civil War a little bit, I am worried that they will screw it up. I, I have faith in the people involved in this movie. Uh, I really do. I am just... I know how badly this could go sideways, and that makes me a tad leery. I am very, very hopeful that everyone involved is willing and able to deal with this adequately, to see, you know, the finally when when uh, Cap and Iron Man finally square off and throw down. It's going to be pretty awesome, and I I, I do mm-hmm. have I have faith that it's going to work out by and large. But I would be stupid if I didn't acknowledge the reality that. There's a lot of good ideas, there's a lot of complex ideas, and if you get too many cooks in the kitchen, or the wrong cook, it could come out completely backwards and wrong. Okay, and that's, um, it's, it's being directed by the Russo brothers, and in the Russo brothers we trust, they've already, they've earned that trust with, with the Winter Soldier. The screenplay is written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. I don't know what to say about the two of them, I don't know who those people are. <laughs> Um, I mean, you know, it's it's got a lot of characters in it, but it doesn't really matter how many characters are in this thing. It, what matters is, do they attend to the theme? The thing that makes Civil War as great as it is are the themes involved with it, not the fighting, yeah. not, not 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 any of that, you know. But can they adequately represent the fact that this is is a philosophy and it's fracturing the hero and how that's dealt with? And One I can't. The... Go ahead. I was going to say one of one of the key things that I picked up when I you know started I started reading it probably again uh, a couple of years back is that many the way that they set that up was that people could identify with either side um, you know as much as you know we want to say Tony Stark would be the villain they certainly did not make that black and white from the get go of Civil War in the comics it was. There were people pro-registration or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it, and people anti-registration. And just like in the game, I'm, I think you mentioned before that you played the game, right, Mark? There's a game called Civil War? No, there, it's you know, it uh, Avengers uh, Alliance 2. It's a multiplayer uh, dungeon crawl beat-em-up game that takes most of its inspiration from Civil War. Oh, it's, no, uh, it's oh Ultimate... Oh, crap, what is it called? I, I, I want to say it's ultimate uh i want to say ultimate for some reason you're you're close robert i just can't remember i don't think that's the that's the title of it it's a sequel but anyway they you could pick register you could pick basically the side you could pick registration or you could pick basically iron man side or captain america side and um uh man now i cannot remember the name of that freaking can't remember the name it's going to bother me the guys that are writing the screenplay for civil war also wrote the screenplay for the Winter Soldier. Thank you, Ben Cologne, for that uh, bit of insight there on my messenger. Let me let me quick say this. Um, the funny thing about the Marvel Universe is that they they got to a point where you know issues about good guys fighting bad guys just didn't wasn't interesting anymore, and it wasn't selling books like they wanted to. And so they created a very politically charged atmosphere among the heroes. Civil War kind of being the pinnacle of that. But when you think about it, this there was a group of heroes called the Illuminati that thought it was a good idea to ship the Hulk into space. You know, and no, there's just a lot of technically speaking, it was. What was that? Technically speaking, it was a good idea to ship the Hulk <laughs> into space. Get him the hell off the planet. Yeah, get him the hell off the planet. 
Well, that's that's my point. It's you know, if you have heroes that are not that are not just concerned with stopping bad guys now, but are now taking an active part in how the world works. And okay, the game that which you're referring to is called Marvel Ultimate Alliance Two. Okay, there we go. There we go. Thank you, Ben. Um, <laughs> so I just that was you know, close. So, and I think that's the spirit that they have to capture is that they're more than just good guys fighting bad guys. That these are now people you know, placing their hand firmly on the mechanisms that run the planet and making decisions that affect people's lives, not just knocking buildings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I almost feel like we're headed towards Tony Stark, uh, you know, senator type of thing with this, depending on how it goes. I mean, it wouldn't be completely out of character for him to try and take a political office, by and large. I'll go ahead and phrase it that way. Well, in the comic book, we, all know, we all know the government is just a... Just, that's a, a great villain for any film. Yeah, it's I, I was, easy. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, they got the, uh, what do you call it there, uh, Tony Stark was the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. for for a, a cup of coffee, if I remember correctly. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. And, uh, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. Um, all right, uh, the last thing, real briefly about, because I started to ask Mark about what he thought about Thanos and Guardians and... Uh, how his, you know, the first kind of actual bits of dialogue and screen presence from the Mad Titan played out. So I'll ask that, and then since Jesse's here, he can get his two cents in on that. Then we're going to do plugs and wrap this up. So, Mark, final words. We're going to close with Thanos as, you know, kind of the be-all, end-all. You and I talked a little bit about this when, it, as far as uh, the Infinity Wars looking ahead a little bit. So thoughts on Thanos so far and, you know, concerns or hopes for the future? He plays an awesome Wizard of Oz at this point. <laughs> At this point, Thanos is just a flaming head, okay? He's just there and isn't really doing anything yet. You know, I'm I'm sure Josh Brolin, who is an accomplished actor, can handle the part just fine. If people are wondering what I said to Robert off-air, I said, I'm more looking forward to Civil War than I am the Infinity Wars because I'm getting tired of the same plot in every Marvel movie of, you know, crazy maniac wants to destroy the world and needs a MacGuffin to do it. And even more so, I remember, uh, Jesse, if you go back and listen to source material uh, as you tackled the Infinity Gauntlet, I mean, the Marvel cinema, the, the, the Marvel universe of heroes are almost incidental to that whole storyline. Sounds yeah. wipes them out the snap of his fingers. And the only reason why they got the thing off of him in the first place, I think that, and, well, I mean, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm actually going to let Jesse just kind of jump in here. They, they, there's two shots at Thanos. They miss him the first time, and, it's, and I think the first attempt was to kind of point in one direction. <laughs> Silver Surfer points in one direction, or, or Adam Warlock points and says, look, over there, it, you know, it, it's uh, Olivia Munn with her top off. And Thanos <laughs> says, what? <laughs> <laughs> and Silver Server runs by and tries to grab the gauntlet off of his hand. Um, and then uh, t- take it from there, Jess. How do they actually get the gauntlet off of him? Oh, man. I, honestly, it's been so long, I don't know if I can remember. I know that they come together, um, and Adam Warlock's got a big hand in it. Crap. It's been a while since I'm going to have to go back and listen to my own show just so I, so I could actually uh, – remember exactly how it is. I'm getting prepared for Secret Wars, and now I'm all, like, I'm all scatterbrained. But with... I, I know how it is. It's uh, his girl, uh, his well, daughter. If memory, serves, uh, if memory serves me, he actually uh, takes the place of the eternal, fo- of the eternal being entity, which is a yeah. non-corporeal being. 
So he loses the hand which actually holds the gauntlet and falls off of him. But they actually yeah, can't he, beat him. He winds up defeating himself incidentally. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. He becomes he becomes a uh he becomes omnipotent, uh, but he's you know, ethereal. So his body's laying there and the gauntlet's just laying there and Nebula, uh, who is I believe it's Nebula who is it's either Nebula or the girl that he created. I can't remember which one. It's Nebula. But either way, is it Nebula? And if she it isn't in the comics, it will be for the movie. Yeah, she get she is twisted in that book. I mean, she gets messed up by Thanos, and then you know she finally gets the gauntlet, puts it on, and uh, and that whole story really it's a love story if you look at it. I mean, and then that's I don't know if that's how it's going to come across in our when we watch it, but it you know Thanos's love for death was so just so all consuming. Let, let me just stop you there. People couldn't handle the Avengers slowing down to show a, bu- a budding love story between <laughs> Black Widow and the Hulk. How the fuck are they going to get around Thanos in love with death? <laughs> no, I don't think it's going to come up. I don't think we're going to see anything like that. It's going to be bang, bang, boom, bunch of explosions. That's uh, that's, that's what that's what we go pay the money for. And, and I'm not yelling at you, but that's how the Infinity War was. If this is going to be an hour long sequence of all the heroes jumping on Thanos and him killing them one by one, I'm gonna I'm gonna need a drink. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't know how the Robert Winfrey's going to get through that because I know he'll be just as much pain as I am, and I'm going to be drunk. <laughs> hey, I don't drink, so I have to bear my pains, you know, with a full state, with a clear state of mind. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah, well, I'm not let looking me, forward to it. I mean, like, I, I'm looking forward to it because I love big event films. But I feel, let's put it this way, I wasn't necessarily wazooey about The Force Awakens um, either. I mean, when I heard everything I heard about it up until the latest trailer release, I was like, oh, I'm going to go, but I don't think I'm going to like this, Yogi. And, anyway, and uh, Incidentally, we have independent confirmation. Ben Cologne has confirmed that I am correct. With regards to the Infinity Wars, or the Infinity okay, Gauntlet okay. storyline. So, like I said, I'm much more. I, I, first of all, I don't know how capable this studio is of even getting the story right, and even if they got it right, I don't think it's going to translate very well to to a major motion picture because the Infinity Gauntlet storyline really just screams comic book story. And, um, and it's so, a two part, a two part film. Mm-hmm. That's, they, yeah, they I would be okay. They were two parts. I would be okay if they devote the entire first part of this movie to a backstory for Thanos. I really would. Because he's a, he's a very interesting character when you actually get into the meat of what makes him tick. Well, he mm-hmm. doesn't have the Infinity Stones yet, so I would imagine the, uh, part one has got to be the Infinity Search, or what was it called? Was it, was it the, uh, Infinity Quest. I think it's Infinity uh, yeah. Quest, if memory serves. Quest for the Stone, something along those lines. I would imagine it's the Infinity Quest, and so he's got to, So where does he got to go? He's got to go to Asgard, and he can fight, you know, Thor and Sith and all of them. Um, you know, he can kind of grab Loki and say, "Where is the trigger? Where is it?" You know, that sort of thing. Um, so, so he's got to go to Asgard. He's got to go to the Collector, who no, he's got he's got to go to Xandar and fight the Guardians of the Galaxy and the Xandarians to get that stone. Um, he's got to show up to Earth. To rip the thing out of the vision's head. No, the vision left. Oh, hang on. No, vision still has the mind stone. Yeah, that's no, right. no, I'm thinking ahead to Civil War. I read uh, an alleged script leak where, uh, spoiler alert, the vision leaves the planet at the end of Civil War. Which, if that's the case, you know, Thanos will some find him somewhere in space, probably at a bar drinking, and rip the thing out of his head. Um, 
And so who's got the ether? The collector, right? Yeah, the collector has the ether. Then we also need again Adam Warlock with the Soul Stone and whoever winds up with the Time Stone. So I mean, I suppose that you know, I suppose if that's the movie, him going to these different places and fighting different groups of Marvel heroes, and finally at the end, I've got it, I've got the thing to be concluded. You know, I okay, that right. that that I'm, I'm you got me there. But the actual like confrontation between Thanos and the, the the heroes is there is none. He wipes them out with a snap yeah. of his fingers, and then you know, and then like, and then he defeats himself with his own hubris. It's like whoop de do. Look, now he brings them. He like wipes them out, brings them back, limits his own power to make it a somewhat fair fight, overcomes everything, and finally realizes that despite all of his power, he still can't be with death, and gives up hope. Now, now just take what you just said and put yourself in the mind of people who couldn't get through the Age of Ultron without saying this was less fun than the original Avengers. You really? I, I understand. No, it. I really don't want to see. You. I don't want to see. I want to see our heroes triumph in a convincing way and not a fucking villain that's going to beat himself. I want to, I want to see that. Now that's about all you can rely on when you're a freaking God, the own fallacy of yourself uh, as a villain. You see it, you just see it over and over, but I don't know if that's what we're going to get here or not. If there's going to be a convincing way that the guys, you know, our heroes triumph, it'll be, you know, I can't wait to see the anticipation of this villain. They, they they have done it very similar to the way they did building up Avengers, right? You know, right at the end of specific the, such movie, there's a little clip. Oh, man, we're building to something. We're building to something. Then we reach that climax with Avengers while the heroes came together. They're almost following the same format, and it's pretty obvious, with Thanos. They're, they're putting them at the end, putting them at the end. And hopefully Marvel hasn't let me down yet. Um, so I'm hoping that this two-parter is going to be epic and, and people are just going to be clamoring. Um, I'm excited. That's how I, that's what my, my, uh, my final word on w- what to expect with Thanos. I can't wait. The Infinity Wars and the Force Awakens are both, to me, the same thing. I'm going to go, but I don't think this is going to end well. I don't think the Rangers going to like I'll be looking it's, forward it to the It could go that way. And, yeah, <laughs> we will certainly have reviews. All right, that's going to wrap us up here with everything that the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe has put out so far. Come back next week when we take a more in-depth look towards the future. We've touched on it here, a little bit of Thanos. Uh, We'll be talking a little bit about Ant-Man. We'll get more in-depth into Civil War. Uh, Just a uh, a lot more freeform next time around because not as much has been announced. But, again, there's Civil War, there's Doctor Strange, there's the second Guardians movie, there's Thor. There's stuff to talk about. In the Doctor Strange movie, uh, the villain is Dormammu, and then um, word has it that Claw is going to be back for Black Panther. I would assume so. Otherwise, you just wasted the great Andy Serkis, and I'm a big fan of Andy Serkis. Anyone who's heard me talk about the new Planet of the Apes movies can attest to that. But again, that's what we're doing next week. Uh, All right. Mark, any plugs you want to get out of the way? Well, uh, next week on on Wednesday is our last of the Daredevil series. On Thursday, the Metal Hammer of Doom returns with a review of the new Corporal Clawney album. Uh, the following week, on Wednesday, Robert Winfrey and I, barring any unforeseen calamity, will be reviewing Mad Max Fury Road. And on Yay. Thursday, on the long road to ruin, uh, we will be reviewing the Mad Max trilogy. Mad Max, The Road Warrior, and Mad Max, 
uh, in love with Tina Turner. So no one loves <laughs> Tina Turner. I love Tina Turner because we don't need another hero, Mr. Winfrey. <laughs> Much as I kind of have a soft spot for that song, no one loves Tina Turner. Well, I certainly didn't. Oh, Beyond Thunderdome, why did you take my beloved franchise and beat it to death with a salmon? <laughs> you know, I've never seen Mad Max and I've never seen The Road Warrior, but I, but I was a kid when I saw Beyond Thunderdome, and even then I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. The first two are, I very much like the first two. They have informed so much of what has become post-apocalyptic action. I mean, the entire final tanker chase sequence in Road Warrior is a thing of beauty. Uh, But Beyond Thunderdome is, I I got nothing other than, I'll throw a raspberry at it. (laughs) I can't wait to play that song on a long road drone. I may let the whole thing play. Uh, and, And again, I got a soft spot for the song, but... Uh, this, I, hey, I Jesse, can't. Hey Jesse Starker. Yes. What did I? What did I Turner? Uh, what did I Turner tell Tina Turner? What's that? Nothing. He already told her once. Oh, Chris Matt, right in the face. Domestic abuse. That's funny. Yeah. Funny it's jokes, funny. guys. You have just. I don't know how you did it, but you took my podcast and you dropped it down a notch. Good for all of you. <laughs> he was all excited about his debut, and we just tossed it in the toilet, flushed it down. Oh, a little bit. Oh. All right. All right. Uh, for now. Yeah, okay. That's going to wrap us up. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Thank you to Jesse and Benjamin for calling in. Thank you to everyone who listens. I appreciate it. Again, I'm back next week look, with a bit of a look ahead as far as the Marvel Cinematic Universe is concerned. I'm not going to plug everything I do because I don't want to right now, but I do a lot of stuff. Uh, I, For anyone out there in the immediate future, as far as this uh, show is concerned, if you don't have UFC Fight Pass, I will have live coverage of UFC Fight Night 65, which is headlined by Mark Hunt and Stipe Miocic uh, this coming th- Saturday. So if you like heavyweights but you don't have Fight Pass, I will have your live play-by-play, uh, calling the action as I see it over at 411 Mania. And then the 411 Ground and Pound radio show every Sunday. Uh, Mark covered everything else I'm going to be doing. Until next time, everyone, I'm Robert Winfrey reminding everyone out there that Marvel, your heroes are great, but your villains suck. Do better, and the entire product will be elevated. Till then, everyone, uh, much as I'm going to steal Mark's phrase again, be well, be safe, and behave. So say goodnight to the bad guys.